Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I want to draw your attention to the two ways you can support the podcast financially. If you would like to make a one-off donation, I've set up a Just Giving page where you can help the show continue on into the future by donating as much or as little as you like. Alternatively, there are six different levels of subscription, starting from just £5 a month, over at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. There, you will find two new podcast series, a monthly bulletin, group and personal Zoom meetings, articles, mini-episodes attached to this series, and the chance to have some conducting lessons from myself. The details are in the show notes below, and I would greatly appreciate any help you can manage. Today, I conduct a conversation with an Austrian conductor, who started his musical life as a viola player with one of the world's greatest orchestras but has since gone on to international stardom, becoming a music director in Norway, Sweden, Germany, and the United States. It's a real pleasure to welcome Manfred Honeck. Manfred, wonderful to talk to you today. How are you? I am wonderful. It's wonderful to speak with you, Mike. Um, I think it's fair to say that your early life um, was filled with music. Can you... Tell me how music first came into your world um, and what it was like growing up in a family that I seem to remember hearing that all of your brothers and sisters learned musical instruments. Um, actually, yes, we were nine siblings and uh, you can imagine if everybody plays an instrument, uh, it must be, it must have been very noisy actually. <laughs> and it was indeed very noisy. My father had the idea that all the, uh, his kids are playing an instrument, which I'm very thankful for whenever not all of uh, my siblings uh, has chosen um, uh, music as a profession, but they love music. Mm. But as it, as it is, you know, we are um, were born in a um, in the countryside, actually in the mountains in Vorarlberg, in western part of Austria. There's a lot of quite high mountains. They are very close to Lech um, in Arlberg, where mm. I think the royal family sometimes are going to ski. Also. <laughs> Um, and um, so we had a very simple life, you know, and no TV, and um, we were very much in the nature. In fact, we were running around without shoes in the Alps, you know, whether it's raining or where it was uh, sunny, it doesn't matter. So it's a completely different life, and um, if, thanks to my father, he really uh, wanted us to, to 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 play an instrument. He was obsessed by the idea. It's like a, it might be he had an idea of a trap family. I I don't know <laughs> it really. You know, so that we just played together and 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 uh, sadly enough, actually, it never really happened that we all played together except one moment um, at the funeral of my father. Mm. You know, so at, uh, because the my eldest uh, uh, brother. Uh, he went to Vienna, which is 700 kilometers away from um, where I was born, um, and 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 so we had a little bit less contact. And the second uh, um, oldest was the same, you know. So they went away from the family. So, uh, but nevertheless, he uh, was really was very very strong and asked us, please play an instrument. So he put the the violin in my hand and said, uh, "So, Manfred." Uh, play the violin. 
So <laughs> there is, I could not escape actually, <laughs> whether I want or not. Uh, but you know, in, in these kids, and you can imagine, and when you are with a family and you have no medias around you, um, uh, you are going to nature, and 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 we played football. I was much more interested in football. Yeah, Much yeah. <laughs> so it's in then then practice, but you know. <laughs> so my father asked us to practice uh, every day, but very very little. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, you're you're no different from me. You know, I was a violinist. I started when I was nine. I was more interested in football and cricket. Um, practicing was, yeah, <laughs> uh, practicing was not something I was into <laughs> until until later when I realised that music was was something that I really, really wanted to do. Um, it was actually down to a TV programme. I saw a TV programme about the London Symphony Orchestra and realised that I could be paid for playing the violin and they gave me spending money when we went on tour and I thought, this, this sounds great. Um, what a wonderful life. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so did you stay um, in Freilberg in Austria or did the family um, move? Or where did you study the violin? And eventually the viola as well, didn't you? No, yeah, that was very late, actually. Yeah. I studied violin in, in Vorarlberg and, uh, um, you know, uh, might be going back to my first uh, moment where I really remember uh, that classical music has actually something uh, importance to me. It was one time, I think it was uh, 10 years or 11 years, I don't remember that really. Um, we had a very simple LP player, you know, we have only five um, LPs and one of them was a coronation mass of, of Mozart with the Vienna singer uh, boys. And uh, I, I still remember, you know, that I won after the other, I put it then on the machine and, and, and I think I destroyed it. It doesn't exist anymore. So it, it was, <laughs> especially the quick parts. So, but um, my father was um, experienced and recognized that might be the teachers in the capital town are much better uh, and can influence the kids more than the teachers, which were very nice, you know. So, uh, uh, for example, I, I, I tell you how they got me to practice a little bit more, because we uh, we had um, uh, all the time we had uh, eaten the uh, the whole uh, uh, days uh, potatoes, you know, and 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 some very we had no chocolate and mm. so no yogurt. So this lady. Uh, the teachers, um, she had yogurt, and that was the reason why I went to the t to the school. I, I liked the yogurt, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> the fruit yogurt. It was so good, and I really enjoyed it so much. But of course, um, I, 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 it was not um, not at all uh, that I made a progress. So my father, after uh, my mother died at 1965, um, seven kids were then uh, still at home. He decided. To, to move with the whole family to Vienna. Wow. And when I think, I did not understand that, you know, in the, I was happy to go to capital town and saw a lot of uh, uh, cars and train and the life of a city, which we, of course, we did not have in the Alps. Mm. Uh, so it was very exciting to, uh, for me. Um, but the more I think about the courage um, of my father to move without having money, mm. We didn't have money, 
you know, and move then because of one thing, he wanted to have the best teacher. I think this, I'm so thankful for that still, uh, that, that he did it. Otherwise, I probably would not sit with you to now mm. and then chat with you, you know. So this, it always shows for me that because of a decision of one person, a whole life can change. Yes, yes. It's not only romantic that you see your wife, now it changes your life, okay? Mm. It is, uh, yes, but this is, was um, for the whole family such an enormous important decision. And uh, then when we uh, came to Vienna, it was a two-room apartment, you know, and can you imagine uh, we had to really to, um, uh, to exactly to, uh, to time the, uh, the practice time, you know, uh, you know, if, if we, we could not play in the same room, this is not possible. Uh, so, and that was very difficult later on, uh, uh, two years later, we got a, a bigger apartment in the fourth district, which actually was the Johann Strauss Gasse, the oh. Johann Strauss uh, Street, which, which was actually, um, enormous, you know, that that was the street, uh, street where uh, Johann Strauss, Strauss died and the house exists, doesn't exist anymore. It was destroyed, uh, but, uh, but that was the street where he, where he passed away. So you go on to a music school and study violin. At no point yet have we mentioned conducting. I'm assuming when you went, in, went to study the, you know, in your late teens and into your 20s that you were playing in orchestras at, at music school but was conducting anything that you thought about conducting at all at this moment? Um, I can tell you um, that of course I went to music gymnasium no idea what is about conducting till one moment hmm. it was uh, that my father um, asked uh, sent us to the New Year's, New Year's concert of the Vienna Philharmonic but not the seating we could not afford the seats, so mm. we, we went to the standing places in the back, you know. Yes. And uh, I still remember that I, uh, there were really hundreds of people on the street waiting for the, uh, for the entrance, you know. And I was one, small, you know, and everybody was bigger, so we went up uh, and it was hopeless. I was among, uh, among these adults, you know, and, and then um, one of the older ushers, he unfortunately passed away, um, came and, and saw me. He picked me out with a finger, showed yeah. me, come on, come in. And he put me on the front position. In, um, um, in the, so I, I had the best place of all yeah. the standing place, you know. And um, if, I, I still remember that was the moment where Willy Boskowski was uh, conducting the Vienna Philharmonic was playing and, and I had uh, the feeling that time, it must be wonderful to be a musician on the stage, either as a um, orchestral musician or as a conductor. You know? mm. And later on, unfortunately, I could not thank to the usher because he passed away already. But what mm. kind of role he played for me, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, isn't, it, isn't it great that people sometimes, yeah. it's a fantastic moment in my life. And, and um, I, but I know in that moment, I, I went home and, and tried to, uh, to put a pencil in my hand and, and move how Willy Boskowski did that, you know, so mm. was a little bit kind of <laughs> a, 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 a triad, but not a few thinking that I uh, would understand what, what means conducting, mm. nothing at all. And so, but I think it was put in my heart already that time. What a moment that must have been for a, 
I don't know how old you, you, you said you were 10 or 11. What a moment that must have been for you to have gone to the front and I'm assuming for the first time seen the golden azal of the Musique Verine uh, all loud out in front Indeed. of you. That gold red mixture of colours and bright, you know, shining lights and that historic building. I remember the first time I played in there walking in thinking, my God, what a place having seen it on the TV so yeah. many times. As a young child, that must have been, your eyes must have been popping out of your head. Oh, um, it was amazing. And, and also your ears, because the sound that, that come, the, the acoustic that is in that building is, I still think, the best in the world. Um, it must, you just must have, you know, that whole experience, sensory experience must have been amazing. Yeah, the atmosphere, you know, you, you, you breathe the atmosphere in the year's concert, you know, and that's it being there and then having been part of a, so to say, a celebration and, mm. and, and musically, it, I mean, I, of course, I did not understand that in that time, but the music was fantastic, you know, it was really uplifting. Not that I was not familiar um, with, with the folks music. You know, we, we played also folks music at home and uh, the, 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 the songs of the leader and then the polkas and the marches, the landless. It, it somehow, it, it, but, but now it was very special, played by a wonderful orchestra and uh, stylistically, in a, in the, uh, probably in the right way in that time. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it, I, I was so, so, so impressed that um, I, that I still remember this was actually the beginning where I thought, go into the direction of, of might be being conducted. Well, let's jump ahead because, of course, eventually you got to sit on that stage and you got to play with that orchestra. Um, I'm right in thinking as a viola player, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, actually, I was a, a violin player uh, for two years in the Vienna yeah. Philharmonic as a substitute. And uh, I was already conducting, uh, and the people know that, knew that also. But there was no position free for the, for the violin. There was only a viola position free. So I changed, um, I still remember, in December. And uh, the, uh, uh, the audition was in April. Mm. So I had a, a few months to to get um, <laughs> to get used to the instrument. Fortunately, yes. had uh, had a quite good technique on the violin already, so that uh, it was only the question how I uh, make this the fingers adapted and especially the right hand, the bow. That was for me a big, big, big surprise. You know yeah. that that this, the right hand was much, much more important than the left hand because the left hand you can fix somehow when you really mm. study that very precise. But the right hand to get the feeling for that, that was a, a, a big, big, big uh, challenge for me. But fortunately, I, um, I have won this audition and um, I still remember that uh, a colleague of uh, mine uh, who was the leader of the union and the leader of the jury at that time, he, when I won this, he came to me and said, um, uh, Mr. Honig, uh, congratulations. It's, you have won the audition, and, but we want you uh, to stop conducting. You want <laughs> me to give, to give the time um, um, for, for the orchestra only. So I was happy, 
<laughs> that's sad. <laughs> you know, somehow, you know, it, it came a little bit kind for me, um, um, like a shock somehow, or so. But I, of course, I was so happy to to be a member of the Vienna Philharmonic um, in the viola group. Um, and by the way, uh, this man was the one then um, who invited me invited me uh, to conduct the Vienna Philharmonic later. Wow. Wow. So it was it was very nice. I didn't give up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I jumped I jumped ahead because we were talking about the Vienna for Vienna Philharmonic, and I will come back to that orchestra. But we've sort of jumped over the most important thing, which is how conducting started. Um, who taught you, if you were taught at all at the beginning, who were your teachers and mentors? I'm assuming this would be a, a Vienna Hochschule or music school. Um, how did it all start? So that by the time you did your audition for the Vienna Philharmonic, you were already conducting, as you said. How Absolutely. Did it how did it begin? Yes. yes. Well, you know, when I felt that I have to, uh, that I really want to conduct, I knew that I, um, I have to, uh, to to study in the Wiener Hochschule Tonsatz and Composing. So I mm. went two years for code, for Tonsatz and Composing, and and then after I have finished. The school. I was also then uh, studying with Professor Karl Österreicher um, in, in, in the Wiener Hochschule. Yeah. So I wanted to before I prepared and also the, uh, the piano playing was um, actually quite important in that time because that was part of the, um, of the audition. Yeah. Uh, so I, I practiced piano and I had lessons in the Wiener Hochschule um, for piano as well. So I, but I was really good prepared for, to make uh, the audition then for the class of Professor Österreich. Um, and, and fortunately, I, 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 I could uh, be part then. And what was his approach? You know, in the past, in our other episodes, you know, we hear of people like Hans Swarovski, who was 99% to do with score study. And, and, you know, you might get 15 minutes about that on technique. And then there's people like Moussin in, in St. Petersburg, who was so much about the technique of using the baton and maybe less so about the score study. What was um, Karl Österreicher all about? What was his, his way? He, he, uh, Karl Österreicher was a, was a student of Swarovski. And that's and of course, of course, he um, um, developed uh, this technique as well uh, with the upbeat, with a clear schema. And I'm, I must tell you, I'm very thankful for that. You know that mm. he uh, it was a little bit dry in my opinion, um, but it was good that he was yeah. dry. It was yeah. good that he forced me not to be too wild in my gestures, not to be uh, undisciplined. And he always reminded us, be disciplined. Uh, the, the orchestra musician has to read your beat and read mm. the tempo of the beat. So I really learned it, how to give the upbeat. That was actually a very essential and, and an important influence which uh, Professor Österreicher had, had um, on, on me. Even it was only two years. Um, Mm. Um, but I had also the, um, the uh, opportunity um, to conduct um, a youth orchestra. And I, I got some invitation to, um, uh, to conduct them and took it over. So everything what I learned in the class of Professor Österreicher, I could also immediately try out in the, in the practical world, you know, in mm. the orchestra world. That was for me so good and it's so important, you know, otherwise, you know, it, I don't know what would happen with me if I just 
have a naked uh, study with some uh, orchestral lessons we, in the in high in the Hochschule, but it, to be to perform it and 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 rehearse uh, this is another thing actually. So that mm. added a lot uh, to me, also to grow in the personality. I would say, but generally um, I'm. I went with the um, Swarovski school and also studying the score, of course, very, uh, very carefully go into the world of, of the tradition, especially um, that time, not knowing that tradition might change also, which, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. did also. And also it did also my, my technique changed as, as well. Yeah. And uh, this has certain, certainly something to do um, with my job in the Vienna Philharmonic, you can imagine when you sit in the orchestra and, and Mike, you, you experience that yourself. You know, mm. I, I think I, I don't have to explain to you what, what, what it means. Uh, um, you watch uh, the conductor. How is he doing that? What is the what is speciality? Why is it working? Why does not why doesn't it work? What is the how do they have the rehearsal technique? Mm. I was my I, I tell you my eyes were not necessarily always in the in the viola part yeah? <laughs> was more more actually in the uh, on the on the conductors you know and that was so 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 helpful and so wonderful to watch them and experience them how they treat and how they work with and rehearse with the orchestra well um, the the listeners won't be able to see me nodding away but basically you described my life as an orchestral violinist, you know, spent most of the time glancing at the music while staring at the conductor to see what, what it was that was inspiring me or annoying me or whatever. Um, mm. And you've led perfectly into my next question, which is going back to the Vienna Philharmonic. And I was going to ask you, but you've led there so beautifully. Of all of the great conductors, because let's face it, the Vienna Philharmonic see the creme de la creme, the top of the pile of all of those conductors which ones stand out for you as you sitting there thinking now this is different this is this is how i want to be this is what, what i think conducting should be you must have seen some conductors who just staggered you i can think of one name in particular um but <laughs> who, who did you see that you suddenly thought now this is this is different well, I want just to say one thing more, that uh, the Vienna Philharmonic are playing not only uh, concerts and course, recordings yeah. and, and uh, tours, also they play every day in the Wiener Staatsoper. Yeah. So my experience is not only with conductors who are, were on the top, um, they were also ex uh, um, conductors who were might be very young or, or might be inexperienced or were concentrating on ballet and, yeah. and, and so on. So, and uh, believe it or not, but I mean, I really could learn from those mm. who struggled also very much. Possibly more, don't you think? From exactly. the ones, yeah, yeah, because exactly. you walk out, you, know, you walk out and think, well, I must never do that, or I must never say yeah. that, or I'm, you know, that, that, yeah, that's awful. Don't ever do this. Yeah. You know, you go back to your youth orchestra or you go on to do your guesting. Yeah, these things go in your brain, don't they? And you just absolutely, you know, and you say, of course, as you said, uh, you will never do that. And then you go on stage and you do the same, you know? <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> to learn a little bit. But, uh, 
um, I must also say that um, the influence of different uh, conductors were enormously, and um, not only from the technique, uh, mm. conducting technique, but also from the uh, spirit, how they created in a rehearsal, how they are making music. That was actually in the end for me the most important. Is it interesting what this guy doing? You know, what does he tell me? And I tell you, I had uh, some experience where I where we played um, and rehearsed uh, Brahms symphony. Now Brahms is one of the composers which the Vienna Philharmonic uh, play <laughs> regularly, and mm. uh, and and they play like it like they play. It's, it's their style, you know. Mm. But there was a conductor who never said something, so I was annoyed. Yeah, I was yeah. a little bit kind of. I was really sad somehow i was yeah, yeah why don't you tell us you know even even some a little thing and then i was um, then other conductors uh, who started to to create an atmosphere and, and tell us how it is you know how what, what is behind and why should we play this in this way why to go so soft and so you know and uh, that made me much more interesting, much, much more interesting to, to see. Of course, there were colleagues also who, um, who were very happy about that uh, the conductor doesn't say anything. Just <laughs> let, us, let us play like we always play. It's good. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, of course, I, I did not like and, uh, this kind of attitude, but there was not too many of them, you know. So, of course, you know, uh, the Vena Film were very, very interested to play in a, good, uh, in a good way, in a different way might be also, you know. Mm. So, uh, when you mentioned, of course, uh, when I can mention uh, Karian was one, it was the god together with Bernstein, you know, yeah. and and uh, um, Carlos Kleiber was there, and the young Abado and yeah. and um, uh, Ricardo Muti, and La Lauren Marseille was director in that time in the, the Wiener Staatsoper. So I could watch them also. Osawa, you know, with an enormous uh, technique in the yeah. gesture that was it was also very impressive. I would say nearly every conductor made enormous in, in, uh, impression on me. Uh, they could be completely different. Yeah? Yes. So Kari and Bernstein, let's say these two one, they are completely different. One is has a little bit kind of the aura of an authority, an aura of a, of a let's say a, a music god. So, and, and, you know, uh, don't talk with him. You know, the other was like a father, you know, and, and uh, had also enormous, beautiful, um, uh, warm music making. Yeah? Mm. The results of both was fantastic. I enjoyed it very much. So, of course, this depends on the repertoire also. Uh, with Karian, for example, I really could learn a lot of Bruckner, how he treated Bruckner mm. and the sound he got out. This is, was for me really, really amazing. One of the sentences I still remember myself that he said, Je leiser desto lauter, the more quiet, the more louder. Mm. So I was sitting here. What does he say? It is a complete nonsense. You know, <laughs> the more softer, the more louder. Mm. Then he explained it. He said, you know, your pianissimo, it must be pianissimo, but it must sound like fortissimo inside. It must be have this interest of, a, so wow, you know, mm. and sadly the sound of the Vienna Philharmonic, Bruckner 8, it was, you know, um, I will never forget that. And this, you carry the whole life on. These mm -hmm. kind of rehearsals, these are made me always thinking 
it's worth to look on every sound, every moment of the, in the music to create the right sound for that. These uh, moments with uh, Karian were, were enorm enormously. Orban, he spent a lot of time in the beginning of the second movement of Jupiter's symphony, you know, so let's uh, spend six minutes with the first violin. We were not used to it, you know, yeah. so, but he wanted to polish the polished sound, you know, and Lenny was not necessarily uh, uh, interested in uh, to have a polished sound. He wanted a sound which is um, according to his emotions and his feelings that it came, let's say, uh, naturally. And he never talked about this uh, very sophisticated pianissimo or so, so he, he was uh, emotional enough to, uh, enough to show it. And, and of course, later on, um, there were a type of conductors, um, and that was actually the period where uh, Nicolas Hanunkur yeah. came a little bit in the life of the, of the music. There was a lot of noise already with his consentus music, um, musicals, and then where, where he um, introduced the, uh, the music historic authentic style and all so on. Uh, I, I was part of the first rehearsal. You oh. can imagine well. what, uh, what, what, what was this kind <laughs> of um, uh, interesting moment because the style of Vienna Philharmonic is not necessarily to play always open strings no. right? and that's the attack. It's exactly the opposite. You have to polish the sound, you know. Um, I want to give you one example. When I, uh, I my teacher in the violin was, was a, a first violinist of the Vienna Philharmonic, you know, so, and, and I played the G major, Mozart uh, came to the lesson, you know, and, and, and I played. I was really good prepared, I thought. You know, so <laughs> I played very exciting, young, yeah. you know. And then after certain moments, he stopped me and he said, uh, Mr. Honig, you have to, uh, to treat your instrument like your wife. <laughs> so, but, yeah, what, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, you have to be very polished very nice to your instrument you hurt your instrument you, know? you attacked your instrument you know? so so i thought myself how does he know how how i treat my wife so <laughs> but i understood how i should <laughs> so but this is the this is the way vienna philharmonic plays in the uh, as a whole not only the strings also the the woodwinds mm. so always to have a polished and round and and nice uh, sound now hanakur counts open string you know and shocking a little bit you know mm. so and 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 suddenly he says non vibrato shocking for the mm. yeah. yeah of yeah. course you know all the um, I would say all the elements immediately came up to me, to myself. Wow, what is true? Is yeah. this true what Karian is doing? Or is it true what Hanunkur tells us? Yeah. And it is, um, I will never forget that's the, the E flat uh, major uh, symphony from uh, uh, Mozart, uh, uh, number 39, yeah. we uh, had rehearsed and played it with Hanukur and you know there is the beginning of very maestoso and he always asked us to reduce, make a diminuendo, no tenuto on the long notes, no, you know, the no, beginning. No. Dun, Everything. Dun, 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 dun. 
tongue down, always demon window in your eyes. So this, and we did it, of course, and it sounded actually very transparent and very made sense to me. And for some reason, next week, Karian changed the repertoire and, and put uh, the, the number 39 again on program. Mm. I, uh, so it, I will never forget this moment when Karian started the E-flat, uh, the first bars. And of course, what did Vienna Philharmonic? We played Dimonuendo, mm. always Dimonuendo, Dimonuendo. And I said, nine men here. Yeah, very, 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 very uh, strong voice and sharp voice. Nein, meine Herren, das muss Tenuto sein. Das muss klingen wie eine Orgel. It must sound like an organ. You know, it must be Tenuto. And what a difference, you know. Yeah. I was so smiling myself. But it opened also the world of conflict in my, my thinking, you know. Yes. What is true? Is yeah. there any truth in the music? Is that especially with Mozart? And I struggled a long time with that, you know. Mm. And I, um, of course, I studied uh, Leopold Mozart's uh, violin school and Bach school and all these schools I studied, you know, to understand what, what is. I, I talked with Hanukkah a lot. Um, what is the, uh, what is the ring? Why, how, what is it? And of course, he, he could explain that. He was like a living lexicon, you know. So yes. he, he, he could tell you everything. You know, he's, uh, you know, and he immediately said to you, this is the reason why the menuetto is that quick, because of that, you know, and what, what, is, what, are, where, what are the steps in which areas in the music world, you know, the, different from Italy, different from, uh, from, might be from Mannheim and go to back to Vienna. He could tell you everything. This is, was, was so wonderful to talk to him. And of course, I'm a big, 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 big uh, Hanukkah fan uh, mm. myself and respect him enormously. Um, but in the other hand, you know, having this wonderful sound picture um, of Karian um, in the head, it, it never lost me. It, yeah. it, it kept me all the time. And, and since then I said, okay, Leopold Mozart said, you know, use the vibrato um, uh, to make a special, uh, with, uh, with geschmack, uh, with taste, yes. you know? like the ornaments with taste. And now taste can change. Mm, you know? Of course. Yeah. The taste, you know, uh, like cars, you know, we, we uh, the way Mozart and Beethoven, they were traveling with horses. Yes. You know, and, and now we, we are driving with cars and, and flying, you know. Ele electric cars. <laughs> electric yeah, cars. exactly. The Tesla sound. <laughs> you, you, yet again, you've led on to my next question, which is a two-part question. I'm assuming you've just said you spoke to Harlancourt quite a lot. I'm assuming a little bit like me that you might go and grab five minutes with the, the conductor that week and ask them some things whilst you were conducting your youth orchestras and whatever else. Did that happen? Who did you speak to? And at what point did you think, right, it's time to stop playing. I really want to become a conductor. And how did you, how did you leave? How did you get out? Um, because I know that's not easy. Uh, personally, it, it you know, it wasn't an easy thing. I probably left it two or three years too late. But <clears throat> how did you manage your transition away from playing and into conducting full time? Well, to, to the first question, I would uh, say, of course, I used the opportunities to talk with uh, with the conductors. 
Mm. And I uh, asked them, of course, always some questions, like I said before with Hanankur. The only person or two persons I did not talk because I was too shy was <laughs> Karajan and Kleiber. Mm. Unfortunately, and that was a yes. little bit of shame because, uh, you know, they, uh, they were there. Uh, there was one moment in a recording where I could, where I thought, oh, go to him and I'll ask him why he was just resting. But they were always surrounded by different people. And they you know how Carlos Kleiber was always a little bit difficult, yes. you know, so uh, they tried to, 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 to keep him a little bit. But I, of course, I talked with uh, Claudia. I was assistant of Claudia for two years in the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra. Talked with uh, Ricardo Muti, uh, with uh, Lauren Marcel, also with uh, Jimmy Levine, and so with Osama. So, so I talked with them about several ideas. Um, and and Scholti, I asked them, well, uh, you know, why? Uh, because he was wondering. The more he got older, um, he kept the quick tempo. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was amazing, actually. Yeah. Others uh, reduced the tempo. You know, As, uh, even Kari and, and Bernstein, they were getting slower and slower. The more the older they were, but not Schulte. You know, so I was very impressed by that. You know. Uh, but I asked him one time a question about why is the here mezzo piano the other piano, but he, he did not give an answer. <laughs> he was, uh, so, okay, might be. Uh, he, you know, I think he knew the uh, score very good, I think. Yes. You know? So, uh, he, um, the transition, um, of course, I, you know, I, I had the opportunity um, uh, to conduct not only the youth orchestra, and I said also the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra as well, the Wiener Janis Orchestra and the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra. But I had also um, uh, got the opportunity to conduct um, uh, professional orchestras, you know. Mm. So I, I, I had uh, won a, a small competition of the Wiener Kammerorchester. And um, so, uh, and I could conduct them in, in uh, Germany, the first, my first tryouts. And uh, um, everywhere where I, I, I conducted, I, I got a re-invitation. Yeah. So you, you can understand now a little bit of conflict, you know, in one way. And uh, I, I had to serve in the Vienna Philharmonic and have to, had to do my, my, uh, my duty there, you know. So yes. it's, it was somehow, I had to, you know. It's, and uh, if I came back from, a, um, from conducting somewhere, I had to, to play more in the Wiener Staatsoper and to do even more, you know. So that was really, really tough life for me, actually, you it, know. So it was, nowadays, it's tricky, isn't it? it, it when you, you come back from doing a week's conducting somewhere, because I did the same, I conducted one week and then I come back and play for two or three weeks in Birmingham. You know, yeah. somebody might ask you for five minutes, your desk partner might say, oh, well, how was last week? And you, you happily tell them that you had a great week and they've invited you back already. And then within five minutes, it's back to the day job of Boeing's and playing and exactly. you know, they're not interested and you have to just yeah. be back, back in the section and do your job. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened to me the same. You know, it's exactly what you say, you know, it's, um, it's um, a reality, which, which is also wonderful. Um, except when you have, uh, when you don't have, have this conflict, do you really want to go conduct or not? You know, if I would not have this conflict, I think, I know, then it was fun last week. And so, and, 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 uh, and that's not, a, that's the, the real week now is with me be in the orchestra. Yes. But uh, I got always more offer, and there was happening now one thing in uh, um, in Wiener Concerthaus um, where Alexander Pereira 
um, he was director of the Wiener Concerto. As you know, we have the Musikverein and the Concertos in Vienna, so yes, yeah. he was director. And he was just appointed um, uh, the opera director in, uh, to be opera director in Zurich, uh, in the Zurich Opera House. And suddenly he came to me and asked uh, Manfred, do you want to go with me to Zurich? And this moment, in this moment, in my heart, I knew immediately mm. that's the time. Mm. It, was, it, it was a second and I knew that I have to go. Of course, I asked him, please, you know, I have three children and I have a family, you know, and, and to leave a job of Vienna Philharmonic where it can be a, a long life, you know, a whole life, you know, it's not so easy just to leave, you know, it's, it's mm. not, uh, so please give me a little bit of time. So it took, I took three, four months uh, to, to think about, in the end, I, I said, I had to go. I have to, to make this um, uh, happen. And I must also say that the Vienna Philharmonic were very generous to me. They gave me um, a, a possibility to, um, to, to return, not, not only one year, but also a second year. Yeah. So, so that was um, that was very very generous of them. So it gave me also a little feeling, you know, you don't jump into a cold water. You know, you yes. really you get a little bit kind of also a backup, so to say. Oh. Fortunately, the my first um, uh, conducting position in uh, as a first Kapellmeister in, in Zurich, um, it went well, so that I uh, could also extend my contract there. So and and that was actually for me then clear that that it is the right uh, thing to do. And, you know, I think the signals for conductors are also very important. You can be, um, when you conduct, you always, you always test it, you know? Mm -hmm. And as you know, if, if, when we are, we're always sitting in the orchestra, we test your conduct in front of you always, you know? Yes. Was it good, was it good? So we have always a hundred of opinions, you know? But is, was this, if, if and a conductor, it's, it's a nature of, of the job that you get tested. And so, but in, in, you know, when you got some feedbacks and, and re-invitations and somehow also the feeling, um, now it works, you know, it works how it is. Um, even you have, to, I had to learn a lot, I must say. Yeah, really. So I made a lot of mistakes in the in the beginning. So, and and I'm so thankful that uh, that your orchestras and your orchestra musicians uh, forgive me. Um, uh, the majority <laughs> forgave me. The, forgive me the, my mistakes, <laughs> so that I could grow, and grow a little bit naturally. I remember you coming to Birmingham because I played for you. Um, I cannot remember what you did the first time you came. But what I do remember is chatting, as you said, like all players do, chatting to players. And I chatted to a, uh, a principal player and we, we both had the same opinion that we really liked you because you never gave up on what you wanted. If you said something because you wanted a specific sound and it didn't work, you would then use another sentence or you would try another way. But you wouldn't leave something until you got what you wanted, which we really enjoyed. Um, I wanted to quickly ask you about guest conducting. Obviously, we don't always have a choice of the repertoire that we want to conduct the first time we go to an orchestra. Hopefully, we have a choice of maybe the second half, the big symphony. Um, the reason for bringing this up is because I, I think I'm writing saying the first time you conducted the Berlin Philharmonic, you chose the Lutosławski Concerto for Orchestra, which is a staggeringly good performance. It's wonderful. And I know you've been back there ever since. But... For instance, why did you choose that or did you not have a choice? Did they give it to you? But when you go to a new orchestra, did you have a plan for the pieces you wanted to conduct for the first time, so, which showed you 
you know, you thought the best repertoire for you. What what ideas or plans did you have for the first time you went somewhere as a guest? That's a very good question because it's very important. Mm. And, and this is because um, you have to judge the situation. First, your situation, where do you stand at the moment um, as a conductor? And also, what is the style of the orchestra? Yes. And that's very important to know, you know, mm. and um, even if you know Tchaikovsky 5 so good and every note you know, if you go there and they have another opinion about that, yeah. it will not work. Mm. So that, not that it, my opinion or their opinion is good. I don't talk about that, what is good and what's not good. It's just a different style. Mm. So um, I think it is very important to check the, uh, the situation. Um, when, and I also ask the managers always, when was it last time played? Mm. Who conducted that? So when I see that um, uh, John Elliott Gardiner was conducting the Mozart symphony, and then Hanukkah came, yeah? And then uh, the next, you know, then you know, okay, this orchestra is trained in, in this historic authentic, you know? Mm. When you know that uh, Karian Bernstein was conducting uh, um, Mozart, then you know, okay, they have a different opinion, might be uh, the older school, uh, mm. you know? Once again, I don't judge what is good or not, please. No, uh, no, 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 no. Understand, no. you know? But from, from your perspective, you are always to, to check, is it really going to be, um, not to be easy, but uh, uh, going to be right, the right thing that I really can give them something. And sometimes I choose to do Tchaikovsky 5, like in Pittsburgh, you know, I came there first and they, and the musicians afterwards told me, you know, uh, you know, they were so, uh, they saw the Tchaikovsky 5, this Manfred Konig on the, on the schedule and said, oh, again, Tchaikovsky 5, you know, but then I brought them new ideas in it, mm. you know, and then suddenly they were wake up um, and, and, and they were, um, yeah, they were then, yeah, it, 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 was, it was the right yeah. <laughs> choice, you know? Well, I, think, I think when you came to Birmingham, I think it was Chike 5. And I do remember sitting up in my chair thinking, exactly like you just said, oh, God, not another Chike 5. But then within minutes, you're sitting there thinking, oh, okay, right. So this, this, he, want, he wants there. Fine. Great. Tell me. Tell me what you want. You know, the, yeah, you, I think you're right in what you say about choosing the right repertoire for the right orchestra. Uh, but also, if it's a piece in your heart, which obviously that piece is, uh, it's something yeah. you, that you can go in and go, hey, I really feel this. And musicians will buy into that. It's, yeah. And yeah, if you stand there and show, I, I really, this is exactly how I feel. They'll go for it. You know, I yeah, so. exactly. And then, um, you know, you have to be really convincing. And then, yeah. and, but the, the idea is what you have, make, have to make sense. You know, it must yeah. come out of the score. Otherwise, uh, nobody will buy that. You know, it yeah. must always have musical sense, in my opinion, even if it's strange and so. But if you can say, listen, that's the reason, either metronome numbers or might be the, uh, uh, to show them what is the original in the score. So like this, you know, there is so great things. Um, and what, one thing what I always hated so much, um, and that's special when, you, when a piece like Tchaikovsky 5 is coming on, not many orchestras are able to play soft. Mm? Mm -hmm. They can play loud. Um, and uh, mostly it is like, like the, uh, that the piano sounds like a mezzo forte and even a fortissimo sounds like a forte. You know? so, it's, it's, so it's a little bit coming close to the middle range of the, of the dynamic. Um, but what a wonderful thing is if you really ask for a very orchestral pianissimo and also for a wonderful singing fortissimo. 
Yeah. And and then you know this is as you know Tchaikovsky can be uh, can be a composer where where you um, can be can do things really overdone you know so that firstly the crescendo along you know if you start the crescendo too early it's it's terrible you know then where do you go you know so it's uh, and and when he writes three Fs and then some bars later four Fs you know so <laughs> what are you doing then yeah? so you have to be very careful and some of the would say the kitschy elements, you know, what do you, what, please forgive me if I say it because I don't think it is kitschy, but it is somehow people think of oh, Tchaikovsky is too much kitsch, you know, so yes. it's a little yeah. too, too sentimental. So if you add some Rita Dandy or some things on it, it's like, um, like Maris Janssen said one time, um, and I really admire that, can't agree more, um, you don't need to add sugar to a to a sachertorte, yeah? <laughs> it's not necessary. It's already here, you know. Yes, so it's yeah. already composed in Tchaikovsky. So and it's so right, you know. These are things you have to know when you do a composer like Tchaikovsky. But the reason why I um, uh, selected uh, Lutoslavsky Concerto for Orchestra, first of all, I love the piece. Yeah. It's a wonderful piece. Well, that and it comes it, over in the performance. It, you know, it, it explodes that performance. It's wonderful. Um, it is so, and it's a really masterpiece. Yeah. Unfortunately, not so often played, and and, and Vienna, uh, the Berlin Philharmonic have not played that also um, uh, enough. And also, the first part uh, was uh, with Anselm Mutter playing the Dvorak Violin Concerto and the Romanza. So, mm. which actually uh, that made then so so why to have then Dvorak or Tchaikovsky once again or so you know so yeah. let's do something which is not was not so um, often played yeah the next time um, I did Tchaikovsky six yeah <laughs> and <laughs> well, then Dvorak yeah. eight <laughs> yeah. actually I've, I've watched both of those uh, and mm -hmm. yeah and particularly enjoyed the Dvorak really enjoyed the Dvorak Um, I'm going to just sort of lump in together a lot of your career in one, in one question here. That you've been, you were music director of Norwegian National Opera, principal guest at Oslo Philharmonic, music director of Swedish Radio Symphony Orchestra, principal guest of the Czech Phil twice, and also um, uh, somewhere I'll come back to in a minute, you were general music director of the Staatsoper in Stuttgart. But you've now been 12 years in with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra as music director. Do you have any real thoughts on on, a, on any differences of approach that you might need to take as a conductor when you're working with the, those Central European and Scandinavian orchestras compared to Pittsburgh? Or is there a difference of approach between the players or either side of the, of the Atlantic Ocean? Have you found any differences? I mean, obviously, the different, there is a difference as a public figure. In Pittsburgh, you have to be out there sort of, as they say, pressing the, the flesh and talking to donors and sponsors more than maybe you do in Europe. But other than that, what have your experiences been? Well, you know, I must say that I find in both continents wonderful musicians. Mm. If you have wonderful musicians, then they will always understand what, uh, musically understand what, what you mean and, and how you want to have it. So from that respect, there is no difference. A clarinet is a clarinet, a bow is a bow, you know, and then a violin is a violin. So one of the differences might be is the amount of rehearsals. 
Mm. In America, you don't have that many rehearsals because every rehearsal costs a ton of money. You know, in in Europe, uh, it doesn't matter so much how many rehearsals. And in Scandinavia, for example, they, we have sometimes four days. You know, from ten to two o'clock. Yeah? Yes. Four days for a normal program, you know, and and uh, when I went to Chicago with Marla Five, I had three rehearsals and plus a dress rehearsal, you know. Mm. So the, for for a big piece like Marla Five, you know, so so you have to be in America probably a little bit more precise uh, and go to go to the next. And as you said before, unfortunately, my style is not to give up. You know, so when something <laughs> does not work yet, uh, repeat it. And I take the time for repeating it because one of the experience made them, and is, um, I have now a little bit more white hair. So people think that I'm, I have more wisdom, or, <laughs> what I doubt actually. <laughs> but one of these things, what I really learned is that uh, when you uh, um, uh, practice something with your orchestra, especially in the sound, it also influences other places so that, that, that you don't have to do that necessarily uh, once again, you know. Mm. So it's, it, that, that's also very good. So in, in America, you have to be in that case um, a little bit precise um, and also to respect uh, might be their tradition somehow, you know. Sometimes, you know, if, if, when we say American sound and, and, and uh, European sound, um, I don't like this so much because American orchestras uh, within America, they play also very differently, you know. So yeah. Chicago plays differently than Pittsburgh, Cleveland plays, plays differently like, uh, than, than New York. And so, um, and then that's, in, in Europe is the same. Petersburg plays differently than Vienna Philharmonic and, and London Symphony plays differently uh, than Bayerische Rundfunk, you know. So, you know, yeah, so we, we have different styles and, and, and fortunately, we have a different style. I really like that. I don't like so much the globalization of a sound, you know, that we have everybody, everything sounds the same so that you cannot recognize an orchestra anymore. Mm. So I like it if, if, you, if an orchestra has an identity, whether generally it's good or like this is another case, you know, this, uh, but you, uh, um, to have an identity of an orchestra is, is, is really wonderful. So when you come to the America, you will probably check rather out what, uh, what, is, uh, what is their strength, what, mm. how far can I go? You know? And I must also say, they are so good prepared, yeah. so well prepared, so that the first rehearsal, you can um, always make music already. Yeah. There's one thing which I might also um, mention. Um, I always use my own material, uh, orchestral yeah. material, so that you can allow yourself immediately to start music, to make music, because you know exactly what is written in the orchestral part, so what they have in front. And it's actually, uh, for me personally, a must somehow, you know, because uh, when you study, and you know that yourself, Mike, when you are, uh, when you study a Tchaikovsky symphony for one, two, three years, you know, and you have an opinion, and it, it takes a long time to get this, and suddenly within two days, you have tell the orchestra your opinion, which uh, you have thought about three years, and if you don't have your own material, um, then you start from nothing, would yeah. say. So at least it's uh, for me a, a big help, and that helps also whether it's in Europe or in in America. It doesn't matter so it, much. It's worth pointing out to the listener what Manfred means by his own material is that not only does he turn up with his score, uh, but he sends his parts, um, which are, he's marked up with his dynamic markings. If they if he wants slightly different from what's printed, um, which means that from the first rehearsal, the orchestra musician 
knows what Manfred's after. Uh, for instance, in Chike Five, I remember I was I'm very good friends with the the timpanist who was there until recently in the CBSO, and and he the first thing he did was flick through your music for Chike Five and discovered that you he there was add some added notes that he you know yeah. and he said well he said to me well I'm used to that being asked to do that anyway but it's nice to know on day one that he wants that <laughs> so I'm prepared um yeah. not all conductors do that uh, I don't because you know frankly I haven't got the storage space for all that sort of stuff <laughs> uh, but yeah it, I mean that that will mm. save you so much time and also that just the, how tedious it, it becomes turning up to do your 20th chike five and they're having to say on uh, right I want these dynamics and every time you have to do it yeah it saves so much time and effort as I said you spent four years as GMD or General Music Director of the Staatsoper Stuttgart. Um, in previous podcasts, I've spoken to people who had a GMD role at an opera house in Germany, and it was sort of split between those who really loved being basically General Music Director for the whole city and for the, the opera company and being involved not only in the music making, but having meetings with the town mayor and with all of that sort of stuff versus another conductor who hated all of that. He just wanted to conduct the opera. He said that he's probably spent 75% of his time in meetings during bureaucracy and 25% in the opera house. What was your experience? Did you enjoy that global city feeling of being the general music director or were you itching to do more actual conducting? Well, um, it's uh, very simple uh, for me, the question I wanted to conduct. Yes. I think I I'm, uh, was uh, trained as a musician and then uh, conductor, so conducting, it, it, that's, that's, that's one. But I knew also that it was as a general music director, I was um, asked to do a lot of other things. Yeah. And I knew also when I'm part of some meetings that it helps also the, uh, to raise the, the quality or to go in the direction I want to, the institution to go. Yeah? Yeah. So if I would not be there uh, on review, used to be part of that and I give these things in the hand of the other people which might work you know uh, uh, but uh, do you, uh, I think through your presence you can always tell the people this is the standard I want to have this is one to, this is the reason why and to explain the things why you want to have and so I realized very much that I I wanted to uh, to be part of the meetings whether it's annoying or not uh, this is another case, you know, mm. uh, but to, to stay in the pit um, and, and conduct uh, Rosenkavalier or Parsifal or so, that was for me a really, it was, it was a joy to do yeah. that, you know, so and, and um, there might be some uh, conflicts in the opera world sometimes with a director, you know, with a, uh, this is, with, which is natural, well, I supported actually the directors very often to, mm. uh, if it's not against the music, you know, so then uh, I really helped to, to, to get through the idea, you know, but um, not every director, yeah, stage director is very musical always, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so I experienced sometimes that uh, they, the, some of the directors went to the, through the rehearsal with a booklet of a CD, you know, just to read the text there. And so and I said myself, mm, rather read the score or listen to it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and one final question uh, before we do the 10 questions. I ask every conductor this, um, and I think it's the most popular bit of the podcast for conducting students. When you come to learn a new piece of music, or even revisit an old one, but let's say it's a new piece of music, 
do you have a system for learning it? Do you sit at the piano and look at the score or do you just sit with your at your desk and flick through it from beginning to end? What's your system? And in that system, do you write things in? Are you a user of colored pencils or, or do you just use simple pencil? Or like some conductors, do you prefer there to be not one single mark on your score? What's your process for learning? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, um, there are a lot of steps, you know, which yeah. I, when I have the first, uh, uh, the score in the hand, new score in the hand, no single piano only the score on my on my desk you know mm. i i started the score the form the harmony uh the instrumentation and all these kind of uh things what the core score um tells you and within that process of course that always comes a little bit uh, some uh, ideas at the same time i also read some books about the piece you know mm. when it, for example beethoven ninth symphony will come out uh, probably in next in spring um, with the uh, Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra, um, you read everything what, what is available about circumstances, what Beethoven had in that time. So it surrounds you, the knowledge, the mood, and then to understand why the composer wrote this at that, at, at that moment. So the next step is then um, to, uh, to ask what kind of opinion do we have? What is right? What, what does the really the composer want to tell you what is the expression of that you know so to identify uh, the expression and then um, as a third step is then that i try to also uh, my gesture uh, to help the, uh, the orchestral musician to identify the right not the, only the timing because the timing is the easiest one as mm. you know you know it's, yes. it's, it's it's there is you can stand in front of the an orchestra and then just conduct it and the timing will work you know yes. but the expression that's mm. that's the thing what i'm most interesting that's a, a very very difficult uh, part so you have your opinion of the piece and, and try to get it into the body and, and into, into the um, uh, gesture. Yeah. And the next step is then um, that I um, listen to, uh, in the end, listen to other recordings also. Mm -hmm. Because that's what, what I think, my teacher said, no, don't listen to the other recordings, uh, which I really agree, we should not do this in the beginning. Yeah, mm. we should. Uh, you might go through one time uh, the piece to hear it, but then forget it. You study the score naked. Mm. You know? So, and um, and but then, uh, what does other colleagues of mine uh, tell the, the piece? And I must admit, uh, tell you sometimes, I changed my mind. Mm. You know, I changed my mind because there there sometimes things which are better than my thoughts, you know? So yeah. why not, you know, why not? Yeah. And, 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 and then the last step um, is that um, I uh, uh, create the own music for the orchestra. Yeah. So I, I buy the parts and, and write the bowings in it so that this idea, uh, what you have as a, as a musician, as a conductor, is very precise that you can also identify then the bowings, you know, as you know, as a violin player, you know exactly what I'm talking about, mm. down bow or up bow in the middle, where is the spiccato, is it, you know, everything. And I, I must tell you, even in the first 
conducting years, I was so, so um, occupied with the idea that I even wrote the type of vibrato in the score. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was actually, then I realized in the rehearsal, oh, the musicians really don't get it so yeah. much, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the finger vibrato, the yeah. arm vibrato, bigger or nervous vibrato and so all this kind of so i wrote it down you know so and this i gave up late uh, because yes. then you know i have to rehearse it uh, separately but these yeah. are the steps where where you uh, where i in the end i feel very comfortable to go in front of the orchestra at this point manfred and i carried on discussing listening to recordings during the learning process and then talked about how easy it is now for conductors to watch other conductors from history on youtube we also discussed the techniques of these great conductors, especially Carlos Kleiber, and how dangerous it could be to copy them. This is now available as a Patreon-exclusive mini-episode, and if you subscribe for just £5 a month, you can access this episode as well as all the other exclusive mini-episodes, bulletins, articles, and a brand new series of interviews. The details of how to subscribe are in the show notes below, and it is very quick and easy to join. Now back to the interview and the all-important final 10 questions. Manfred, it is time for the 10 questions. So we will start with, what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? Well, I love uh, generally the sound of silence. Mm -hmm. and the sound of my children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine the silence comes from your upbringing in the Alps. I would imagine it's a different silence than anywhere else. Absolutely. Um, I think that the silence is has a power. And mm. sometimes what I experienced, uh, the silence has more power than loud, than the noisy. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's the power of a, the energy of a silence is amazing, and I have a lot of occasions, of course, where I was sitting in the Alps and and, and had had nothing around me, and what a great experience! Is. So the um, this is the sound. And what sound would break that silence and make you very very annoyed? That's exactly the first sound which interrupts the silence. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was something as uh, something as wonderful as a cowbell in the Alps, would that upset you? Um, everything what disturbs, uh, you know, you get a, a transfigured uh, a moment, you know? yeah. and then and everything which brings you back to reality might be a little bit kind of uh, annoying, you know. But of course, this is a little bit philosophically, and uh, and but I understand. Uh, I think you understand yeah. uh, that uh, once you are um, occupied and and in, into the mood in a in a, in a certain uh, world, uh, you know, everything what disturbs that is uh, somehow uh, against that. Of course, when you go into a, um, as a, a conductor, and, and I think you experience that yourself also, Mike. Then uh, we, we as a conductor, we always uh, listen to music on the street. Sometimes when you are at uh, Christmas or holiday season, you go on streets and suddenly you hear the most beautiful uh, Christmas songs, and then then you know this annoys you enormously. You know? <laughs> Even it's a beautiful music, you know, but yeah. it annoys you, yeah. you know. 
because it's uh, it's it's the purpose of they do the music here um, is to make money, to make business, to 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 help the people to uh, spend their money. Spend their money. And that's yeah. you know, that's, that's sometimes I get a little bit kind of uh, sad about about that. But you know, speaking about the cowbells, it's um, it's the same when you um, you know when it interrupts the uh, when it brings it back to a reality. If you had twenty four hours free, what would you spend it doing? Well, as you said before, my life as a conductor might be not now in the Corona times, you know, but mm. uh, in the in the times uh, it goes from one week to the other, um, and I don't see my family. So mm. my time would be with my family, with my six kids, and with my eight grandchildren. Oh wow! Uh, I bet a full house at Christmas is a noisy house, but a fun it's house. Very noisy, it? but a fun noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who would be a favorite conductor of yesteryear? Well, as I mentioned before, I have a lot of, uh, played under, lot, uh, under the baton for a lot of um, fantastic conductors. So it's very hard for me really to choose uh, um, anyone. And, and uh, I would be happy to make, uh, uh, to, to mention none of them because I, it always feels that some, that might be some are not, beloved myself uh, as, <laughs> as I would wish but um, of course it's because I played under his baton a lot of time uh, is Carlos Kleiber mm. and um, uh, but I need also to mention uh, Nicolas Hanukur because mm. uh, he influenced me and he opened uh, the world in the right time in the music history and, and you know it's uh, I learned so much of him and, uh, and his seriousness was it was amazing even I would say his conducting technique rather don't watch too much, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, his spirit and, 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 and the, the way he explained the way he's, uh, it, it was him. It, it, it was hundred percent Nicolas Hanenkur identifying with some, with, with the piece, what he, uh, what he performed. And who would be a favorite current conductor? Also here, you know, I have a lot of, um, respect for for my colleagues you know as i said before when i look um, um, on the on, on videos i what really uh, fantastic um, uh, conducts us because i'm searching whether uh, always whether they know the score how do you judge but more what kind of conclusion they make out of the uh, of the score so here mm. So great colleagues around. So I like really many of them because of even different styles, you know. But mm -hmm. if I have to choose um, only one, uh, uh, then I probably would choose now Herbert Blomstedt. And, you know, mm -hmm. because out of respect of for his age, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and his knowledge of the score is so good and he's so serious and um, you know, for him, music is music, and and um, I know I can can tell so even younger conductors I respect so much, and then have a, a really uh, admire them. You know, so I could mention everybody. You know, <laughs> but you know, I, I just want to mention Mike Herbert Blanche because as a, I think he's ninety three years now. I'm yeah. sure ninety four. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's um, it's amazing that. Uh, his attitude and and I when I mention him it's it's also because of of his age. Well, also 
you know, the, the times I've seen him conduct in his 80s and now into his 90s, as you say, he's 93 or 94, there seems to be so much joy on his face. Um, it's joyous music making, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Which, and, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that, see him conduct him with so much joy and energy, really. I mean, you know, for somebody of his age, of course, but he's still so full of energy. And because uh, he knows the score very good. Mm. You know, and then he's he's always stepping back behind the score, and and um, because he knows um, uh, the value of uh, the and, and and searching for the truth in the score, you know? mm. this is so amazing what uh, that he is doing, and and the results are always fantastic. You know, mm. you might agree sometimes with uh, certain repertoires where um, uh, where you say, well. You know, I would do this in different way. Why not? Of course, yeah. you know, but that somebody has found such a wonderful way to uh, perform and interpret the music. It's, it's amazing. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? Well, um, when I was young and still a member of Vienna Philharmonic, um, I got a call from Alexander Pereira, who was in that time the... Um, as I said before, the, cons uh, the director of the concert house in Vienna. Mm. And he told me, told me that uh, Paul Sacher uh, has uh, bleeded from, no from his nose and he had, had canceled in the middle of rehearsals. Wow. So on the, on the program was Frank Martin, uh, the, uh, the Christmas Oratorium, mm. a two-hour piece with choir, soloists and orchestra. I never, I never heard it is existing, um, and and he and, and and Alexander Pereira he wanted me to to step in, mm. otherwise he has to, has to cancel the, all the concerts. What a, it was enormous pressure. So I, um, so I asked him when when is the next rehearsal? He said mm. in five hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I I said I said no, yeah. you know, uh, because I, I can't do this because I, I really don't know the piece. I don't not even know that uh, that uh, it existed. But he insisted, mm -hmm. uh, and to look at least uh, through the score. So uh, um, an assistant uh, brought me the score. So um, and the more I looked on the score. Uh, the more I thought it's doable, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking when I talked with Alexander Pereira, I will not change my mind, you know, how can you do a, a two hour piece in, in and now work in, in five hours here for the rehearsal with, with yeah. the choir and with, uh, this is, this is rather impossible. But I was then convinced uh, when I closed uh, those, I think I should take the risk and help also Alexander um, that he doesn't have to, um, cancel the, uh, the the two concert and it was technically really not difficult i must say mm. also but to do something like that and not having understood the piece as a whole was for me one of the hardest moments oh, of course i yeah. felt like and you know what i talk about mike because um, you are like an executor you know you 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 conduct the beat and and not knowing really uh, what's with with all the limited time what you had, you know, and, and, and try to understand what's, uh, and it was, by the way, in French as well, because it was <laughs> French, you know. So uh, I had no idea what, what, what is the content. And I felt so, 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 so wrong. You know, this yeah. was, it, it went well, you know. I still remember that some musicians came to me and, and, and asked me, Manfred, really? Did you not know the piece before? 
you know. Mm -hmm. So it shows also that you can, um, uh, if you, you conduct it in the timing, and I had learned to conduct in, in time through the Swarovski technique, um, uh, so you can do this. But, you know, to stand there and don't understand anything, this was, uh, this was for me one of the hardest uh, thing. And when I later on made some mistakes on conducting, so it's, it's peanuts against that, uh, you know, when you cannot, could not stand behind, you know. When traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without? Well, if, if it's really an item, I uh, have a hard time because I can uh, leave at home. But if the, if you, if the heart, if I would leave my heart at home, I think that would be a little bit difficult for me. That's, that, yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> do your, put your heart into everything that you do. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Um, I would probably uh, uh, ask for less stress in our business and, mm. and, and uh, to have more de time for the details in the music, uh, more concentration on the music. Uh, as we know that our um, uh, music world is, is also a little bit a business world, you know, mm. and if that takes too much um, in, uh, in first place, I have a little bit uh, uh, problems because um, I don't like that so much, you know, actually not so much. I don't like it at all because mm. we, um, I want to do firstly music, you know, of course I have to earn money, you know, and so, and, and also, uh, my would, big wish would that every musician is always stepping a little bit back behind the real creators, uh, is, I mean the composers, you know. So this, this is one of the things where, where I like the humility um, uh, to have also more established in our, uh, in our business, you know. It, it can't be that, uh, that a CD cover is a uh, big name, the conductor and very small uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. This is a little bit kind of um, a wrong way. So if I would have a wish, I know it's not easy to do that, you know, and it's not meant to be, um, it's not uh, mean, you know, so uh, uh, I know that people have to make business, you know, but let's uh, concentrate on, uh, on the music making, on the music and the composer. These are the really, really creators. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, you know, it was in every stage a little bit different. As a child, of course, you wanted to be a football player, you know, yeah. so it's clear, you know. But uh, the older I got, the more I think I would uh, really work on the on the charity world, you know, yeah. so to help to help other people, you know, so as good as you can. If the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? Well, as you know, that I am very much interested in the spiritual world, um, mm. in the faith. Um, I probably, I would take the Holy Eucharist, the bread and wine, like um, in the Last Supper. Mm. That would Wonderful. be my that would be my meal. Wonderful answer, <laughs> and I have to say, a wonderful way of spending. Um, 90 minutes chatting to you about all manner of music. I've had a great time and I hope to see you very, very, very soon. This is wonderful to talk to you, Mike. Congratulations to all what you do here for, for the classic world and for the young conductors. A Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a German conductor who has been through the German Kapellmeister system and went on to become chief conductor in Munich and Bern, Switzerland. 
He's also known for his work with the Chinake Orchestra in the UK. Until then, bye bye.